Good morning, and if it's morning when you're watching this, it's great to be with you. It's an honor and privilege to be able to share this message with you today. I'm going to be sharing, it's probably building on my message last time when I spoke on when all else fails, but it is a separate standalone message and it's entitled Wait on the Lord, Wait on the Lord. So today we're going to be hearing about waiting on the Lord and I'm going to be sharing some pointers regarding waiting on the Lord. If we find ourselves uh, find ourselves in that season, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it always accomplishes that which it's sent for. And so Holy Spirit, would you fill my heart and my mind and my mouth today? Would you come and speak to your people? Would you uh, speak your word that brings forth a hundredfold fruit? Um, in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, like I said, I'm going to be speaking on waiting on the Lord. The title is actually wait on the Lord. And I want to just begin my message by sharing something that I've experienced with one of my children recently and preempt that by saying in life we can learn from others and God does and he can and does speak to us through the lives of those around us. Um, he speaks, he speaks to, I love looking uh, for and listening for where he's speaking to me and one of the places and one of the people that he speaks to me uh, through is my children. Um, sometimes they're like a mirror, yes, and they reveal my weaknesses, my shortcomings. Sometimes they reveal my humanity, my flesh, so to speak. Um, but sometimes they speak incredible wisdom. Sometimes they speak back to me what I've been instructing them and I need to hear from them. And um, I've been learning about waiting on the Lord from one of my children in particular. Uh, he's gone through a season of waiting recently and I've watched him handle it with such grace, with such patience and with such composure to use his word, um, such hope, such peace. And um, I'm wanting to, I, I've been really drawing a lot from him as I've observed him these past couple of months. Basically, there's a, a particular sport that he really loves and he's good at. And he usually makes the A-team uh, for this particular sport. And about two months ago, the school had trials, they had tryouts and the new coaches didn't know him and they uh, overlooked him and they sent him to play with the C&D teams at trials. Anyway, long story short, at the end of all the trials, he was, um, was moved over to the B team, but he never made the A team. And a number of fr his friends made the A team. The school started playing matches. The A team uh, would play certain matches and the other teams wouldn't have matches. Um, the A team went on a school camp and the other boys from the other teams weren't invited, so he wasn't invited. The A-team was sent to provincial tryouts, and because he wasn't part of the A-team, he didn't get to go to provincial tryouts, and he was excluded from all of these things, and they were things that he would have loved to have gone to and been a part of. And this is, was all over a period of about two months. Um, now, bear in mind, this is his probably his favorite sport, and, and some of his friends who are really important to him made this A-team. And we would continue, my husband and I would continually ask him, um, you know, how are you doing? How are you coping with this? How are you feeling? And he was consistently peaceful and he kept saying, it's okay. It's okay. Even though we knew he really wanted to be involved in all of those things. Um, he kept on saying to me, it's okay, mom. 
and this was his word. It's okay, mom. It's about composure. Composure, he used that word. Um, you have to keep hoping there will be another chance. Those were his words to me. Now, I find myself in a season where I have to fight to keep the hope alive in particular aspects of my life. I'm fighting to keep hope alive. And so I asked him, I said, you know, how do you keep hoping? Um, and he said something to me so wise. He, he asked me a question. He said, he asked me, what use would it be to lose hope? What good would come of losing hope? And that really spoke to me. And I just thought, sure, that's brilliant logic. That is really wise. What benefit, what fruit is there when we lose hope? And I've observed in him such composure, such peace in waiting. And I believe that if it was a test from the Lord for him, he passed it with flying colors. And last week, he heard from the coaches that they're moving him up to the A-team and he's just recently, this week, he's played his first match in the A-team and he played so well and the coach congratulated him and, and it's been such a beautiful process for me to watch him this past couple of months and just watch his attitude and watch his composure, so to speak. And you see in life, there's seasons of waiting. There are seasons and there will always be seasons of waiting for the breakthrough, waiting for the door to open, waiting for the vindication, waiting for the relationship to be restored, waiting for the promise of God to be manifest in us or through us, waiting for the answer to prayer, waiting to be seen, waiting to be noticed, waiting for clarity, waiting for healing, waiting for restoration, waiting. There are always seasons where we require to wait. And I mean, let's be honest, who actually likes waiting? You know, some people have more patience than others. And, um, and I'm one of those, I'm not necessarily the most patient person by nature. I can be patient. I've learned the fruit of patience, but it's not my favorite or my most comfortable space. I don't like waiting. I don't like cues. I don't like going to the shops when they're busy because I don't like waiting. I don't like many people blocking my way. I'm task oriented. I like to go and get what I need and leave. And there's something about waiting which is frustrating, I find. But you know what, God, there's something about waiting which I actually think God likes. He likes to help us to wait. And he uses the waiting to shape us and to mold us because faith is important. Without faith, it's important to please him. And when we wait and when we wait on him and when we wait on him in hope, faith grows, endurance grows, patience grows, and we mature. James 1 verse 2 to 4 says, Consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, whenever you're enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith bring out endurance and steadfastness and patience. But let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play and do a thorough work so that you may be a people perfectly and fully developed with no defects lacking in nothing. So waiting and that season of waiting when we respond uh, when we respond correctly brings about a maturity in us. James 1 in uh, verse 2 to 4 in the message says, consider it a sheer gift friends when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work 
so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. You see, God's, one of God's desires is to form Christ in us, to form character in us, to bring about maturity in us. And His methods and His ways and His processes are not always what we want to feel and see and experience, but they bring about something that is beautiful and is important in our lives. And it's important to remember when we find ourselves in seasons of waiting, remember that God is a potter. We read in Jeremiah 18 that God is a potter and He knows what He's doing. And if you go and you look in the notes, you'll find this particular verse there. I'm not going to read the whole portion of Scripture for the sake of time. But I've included Jeremiah 18 verse 1 to 6 where the Lord instructs Jeremiah to go to the potter's house. And he goes there and he finds the potter working at the wheel. And what the potter is making in his hands is marred. And so the potter forms it into something else, shaping it as it seems best to the potter. And the Lord speaks to Jeremiah and says, can I not do with you as this potter? And so God is a potter. And sometimes the image we have in our minds may not be the same as the image in God's mind, but God shapes us and molds us and he uses different seasons and different circumstances to shape us and mold us. But we need to remember that he knows what he's making and he knows what he's doing, even if we don't. Another thing I want us to remember in a season of waiting is that God is an author. God is the author and he knows the end of the story that he has written. We don't know the end always, but he knows the end. In Psalm 139, it speaks of God as an author from verse 15 to 16. It says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. So God is an author and he knows the end from the beginning. We need to remember that. Another thing we can remember is that God is a prepared creator who's already prepared works for us. He's already prepared the works. He's created us and he's prepared. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in the waiting, God knows God knows where you are, he knows where you're at, and he knows where you have to get to, and he knows what he's making. And we can rest assured that God has not forgotten us, God has not made a mistake, he's aware of what he is doing. You know, sometimes in the waiting, I think we begin to believe our circumstances, that God can't see us, that God simply can't or won't break in and help us. But what else could be true? Like my son, we can't and we mustn't lose hope. We must endure the waiting. We must, we must in fact, um, grow and mature in the waiting. It's a known fact that delayed gratification is a mark of maturity. And I believe that in this season, God is wanting to impart an endurance to his church. He's wanting to, to give the church a perseverance, a fortitude, an unwavering faith. These things are not forged overnight. These things are tested in the fiery furnace of affliction very often. These things are tried in the battle for our hope and our faith. And if we're going to mature as his church, if we're going to mature as the body of Christ, we are going to have to learn to wait. And we're going to have to learn to wait on the Lord. 
I want to ask you today, do you have something you're trusting God for? Do you have, maybe it's a relationship, a breakthrough, provision, a way, a door, a season change, healing, whatever it is, I want to encourage you to wait on the Lord, to wait on the Lord. And waiting on the Lord is not a passive waiting. And that is what we're going to look at today. Waiting on the Lord is actually something that is active. It is active. Psalm 27 verse 14 says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is waiting in confident expectation and faith. I love how the Amplified Bible conveys it. It says, Wait and hope for and expect the Lord. Be brave and of good courage and let your heart be stout and enduring. Yes, wait for and hope for and expect the Lord. Beautiful. So I'm going to, be, I'm going to look at five aspects of waiting on the Lord today to encourage us all in the waiting. Amen. So the first aspect of waiting on the Lord that I'm wanting to draw our attention to is it requires courage. Waiting on the Lord, it requires courage. That's why Psalm 27 verse 14 says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. Because it's not easy to wait on the Lord. It's not easy. So be of good courage. And the thing is that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is choosing to stay the course despite the fear. Courage is choosing peace in the midst of the storm. It's choosing to at least live like there is peace on the inside in the midst of the storm. Uh, courage is refusing to make a decision based on emotions and circumstances alone. Courage is standing and facing that which you and or everyone else fears the most. And I'm wanting to look an example of this in David. When David faces Goliath, such a, such a beautiful example of this, 1 Samuel 17, verse 22 to 50, 51. And we see here, um, David's father has sent him to the battle. There's a battle happening between the Philistines and the Israelites. And the Philistines are sending their one biggest warrior, their fiercest warrior, Goliath, out to face the Israelites. And they were basically saying, hey guys, instead of our armies fighting, you pick your toughest warrior, we pick our toughest warrior. The toughest warriors, fiercest warriors from, from our army can fight and winner takes all. That's basically the situation. And so David arrives on the scene. He, we pick it up in verse 22. He leaves his things with the keeper of supplies and runs to the battle lines to ask his brothers how they're doing. And as he's doing this, Goliath the Philistine steps out from the lines of the Philistines and shouts his usual defiance that he has been doing for weeks. And David hears it. Um, and so he, the Philistine shouts basically the challenge to the Israelites to send someone to fight him. Um, and so David hears it. And verse 24, it says, Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. They fled from him in great fear. So you get the picture. He has this mighty, fierce warrior. The Israelites flee from him every time he comes out and David observes this. So David, coming from a completely different paradigm, inquires, what will be done for this man who defeats Goliath? And when he says this, what um, uh, the men overhear what David is saying and report it to Saul the king, and Saul sends for David. And David says to Saul, 
Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. He's basically saying, I'll go and fight him. Verse 32. You see, David had been with the Lord. He'd been in the wilderness with the sheep. He wasn't influenced by popular opinion. He wasn't influenced by the culture and the thinking of the army. He had been with the Lord and that was his primary vantage point. He viewed the situation from heaven's perspective. He he saw Goliath as defying the armies of the living God. We're going to see that in verse 36 below. So David is viewing the situation from God's perspective, whereas the whole army of Israelites are viewing it from a purely natural perspective. And so that was David's, that was what David had over the army of, of uh, over the Israelites. And it's interesting what Saul says to David. He replies and says, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he's been a warrior from his youth. So you can see that even King Saul views the situation from a natural perspective. And you know what? What Saul said was factually correct. Everything he said was factually correct. Um, and one of the challenges we face in the place of waiting, uh, the place of being courageous and trusting God, is the multitude of voices telling us exactly why this is not going to work. And they may be internal voices, they may be external voices, and you know what? They, most of them, some of them, may be factually correct. They may be factually correct, like Saul was factually correct um, in his summation and his perspective. But Saul had forgotten about the God factor, hadn't, hadn't thought about it from heaven's perspective. And it's really important that when we're in these situations, we choose to view our situation, the one that we're waiting in, from heaven's perspective. We choose to listen to God's voice and have God's perspective rather than um, taking on the perspective of the prevailing culture and the prevailing mindset and a natural sort of perspective of, of, of viewing the situation. It's really important we don't lose heart, we don't lose courage, and we don't agree with these voices, but we choose to maintain heaven's perspective. And I love what David says in verse 34. He says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. You see, we have to remember that some of the battles we face today are in preparation for bigger giants we'll face later. The Lord is preparing us and actually is being kind to us in allowing us to face these challenges because as we overcome and as we are victorious in these, they become a roadmap, a faith activator for later battles that are critical for our destiny. And the same way the, 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 the giants we face today God has prepared us to face them very often. We just, if we look at it from a natural perspective, we may not see how he's prepared us and how we to fight them. Verse 38, Saul dressed David in his own tunic, put a coat of armor on him, a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. So he couldn't hardly walk well. 
And he says, I cannot go in these because I'm not used to them. And he took them off. You see, it's important that as we go out to face our giants, we don't put on someone else's armor. We don't try on someone else's gifting, someone else's callings, someone else's strategies. We don't pursue someone else's lane or someone else's race just because the battle we face is bigger and harder than anything else we've faced. We must trust God that what he has placed in our hands and what we've exercised and what we've used in our lives thus far will be enough today with him, with God, even as it has been before. And we see as we look at David that he took a staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, with a sling in his, in his hand approached the Philistine. So with what he had, with what he'd used, with what he was familiar with, with what he'd used as he fought off other um, enemies before, that's how he went. In verse 41, meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. And he looked over David and saw that he was little more than a boy. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David. Come here, he says, and I'll give you flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Listen to what David says to him. You come against me with a sword, spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. And he continues and says what he will do. And he says, verse 47, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that God, that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. And the rest is history. We know David had no intention of going hand to hand combat with this giant. He ran, he used his sling and his stone, knocked the giant down and then walked up to him when he'd knocked him down and took Goliath's sword and chopped off his head. David didn't intend to fight how people expected him to. He didn't even have a sword. He approached the situation with what was in his hand. Successful experience with using it and faith that his God would be enough. And that was enough. David had faith in God, not in his own abilities. He understood that God would be enough. And this is so important. He was courageous and he could be courageous because his eyes were on the Lord. We have to remember whom our God is. We have to remember who fights for us and who helps us. And that will help us to take courage in the waiting. The second aspect that I'm wanting to remind us and wanting to speak about is that waiting requires patient endurance. Psalm 27 verse 14 in the Amplified says, Wait and hope for and expect the Lord. Be brave and of good courage and let your heart be stout and enduring. Let your heart be stout and enduring. Yes, wait for, hope for, and expect the Lord. If we're going to wait and continue waiting in faith until we see the fulfillment of what we're waiting for, our heart is going to have to be enduring. We're going to have to endure some waiting, endure some challenges. That's very clear in Scripture. Nothing is going to be rosy. We're not, God is not going to speak the promise and then we see its manifestation immediately afterward. We're going to have to have stout and enduring hearts in order to see the fulfillment. James 1 verse 12 says, If your faith remains strong, even while surrounded by life's difficulties, you will continue to experience the untold blessings of God. True happiness comes as you pass the test with faith. 
and receive the victorious crown of life promised to every lover of God. The NIV puts it like this, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. As my son says, it's about composure. It's about composure. Romans 5 verse 3 to 5 and the Amplified says, Moreover, let us also be full of joy now. Let us exult and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that pressure and affliction and hardship produce patient and unswerving endurance. And endurance, fortitude, develops maturity of character, approved faith and tried integrity. And character of this sort produces the habit of joyful and confident hope of eternal salvation. Such hope never disappoints or deludes or shames us, for God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Wow, I don't think I'm quite at that point where I triumph in my troubles and rejoice in my sufferings. But you know what? I can know that pressure and affliction and hardship produce endurance. And I know that that is what I need. And that is what the church needs. And the example that I'm wanting to draw our attention to briefly right now is Joseph. Joseph, and you can go and read the account of Joseph, Genesis 37 to 45. But here is a young man who is treated terribly by his own family, by his brothers actually, and sold into slavery by those who were supposed to love him. And he experienced one challenge after another, yet he remained faithful and true to the Lord. He remained faithful and true throughout injustice, throughout false accusation, throughout abandonment, rejection, apparently apparent hopelessness, and so forth. And after so many years, 13 plus years of patiently enduring trials and tribulations and the opposite of what God had actually promised him, Joseph's patience was rewarded when he became Pharaoh's second in command. And it's interesting if I read um, years later when Joseph was reunited with his brothers, the very brothers who'd sold him into sla slavery, this is what he says to them when he's now uh, ruling and second in command in Egypt, Genesis 45, verse 48, he says, come near to me. He says this to his brothers. And they did so. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not be distressed or disheartened or vexed and angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me ahead of you to preserve you, to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land and there are still five years more in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a posterity and to continue a remnant on the earth, to save your lives by a great escape and save for you many survivors. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all. Of Egypt. You know, that is such a picture of a mature and broken heart, brokenness and humility before the Lord. I don't hear any bitterness there. I don't hear any offense there. And I see in the life of Joseph where God gave him a promise, but that promise was not for Joseph. That promise was much bigger than Joseph could have imagined. You see, in the dream that Joseph had originally, he saw his brother and father and mothers, well, actually sun, moon and stars, bowing before him, which symbolized obviously his family, his 
older brothers and his father and his mother. But what God had in store for him was so much bigger than that. There was a purpose that was much, that would, was much bigger than Joseph couldn't, could have imagined. And God was preparing and fashioning in Joseph something, a character and something in him that he could carry the magnitude of what God wanted him to carry. And often when we go through certain things in life and there's a waiting and there's, a, there's difficulty, challenges, injustice, all sorts of challenges and hardship that we go through. God is fashioning us. And we might think, God, why am I going through this? Why is it so difficult? Surely you don't have to put me through this in order just to fulfill this promise. But guess what? God's, God's idea and God's purposes are so much bigger than what we can see, what we can imagine. And he has to enlarge us and, and help us and bring us into a place of maturity where we can carry the gifting, we can carry the call. We can carry the bigness of what he's wanting to place on our shoulders, the magnitude of his purposes, which we probably have no idea of right now. And that's what I see when I see Joseph. A prayer that I've prayed and I've, I've prayed it so often was, Lord, let not, let not the gifting on my life grow bigger than my character and the character and, uh, and ability to stand and stand with integrity and hold it up. I never want the gifting and whatever fame, whatever platform, whatever influence I have, I never want that thing to grow so big and bigger than the character that God has fashioned within me to sustain it because I don't want to be another statistic. I don't want to be a statistic in the body of Christ. I, there's so many leaders that I see falling and I'm not saying their characters couldn't sustain their gifting, but I'm just saying, Lord, help me. I want to stand. I don't want to be a statistic. I want to run my race and run the course and be faithful. And so, Lord God, whatever character you need to fashion in me, then just you can do it, Lord, but just be gracious and kind, please. That's my heart's cry. And I see that in Joseph. And there's a poem um, quoted in, in, a, in a, a book by Oswald J. Sanders, um, by Oswald J. Sanders, and the book is on spiritual leadership. And the poem is credited to an author unknown. Um, so we, I don't know who the author is, but he quotes this poem as, as follows. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man, that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him, and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. How God bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How God uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him. By every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. God knows what he's doing in your life and my life. And it's going to take patient endurance in the waiting to inherit and take hold of the destiny and the promise of God in our lives. Amen. Number three, it requires expectation. Waiting on the Lord requires expectation. 
Psalm 27 verse 14 says, Wait and hope for and expect the Lord. Be brave and of good courage and let your heart be stout and enduring. Yes, wait for and hope for and expect the Lord. And I want to ask you today, what is your expectation? What is your expectation? Even as I ask that of myself, what is your expectation trace in this situation? Our expectation stems from our understanding of God, of his nature and of his heart. And I'm wanting to look at Abraham to get an example of this. And if we remember, if we cast our minds back to the book of Genesis, around Genesis 18, 22, round about there, God gave Abraham a promise that involved a multitude of descendants. In fact, descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. The only problem was that Abraham and his wife, Sarah, couldn't have children. A major problem, yes, if you look at the situation from a natural perspective. But for God, that's not a major problem. Because, you see, if God wants it to be known, without a doubt, that he is the one who fulfilled his own promise, then it's not a problem at all that Sarah and Abraham cannot conceive children. It's not a problem. In fact, it works towards that purpose. Um, and so Abraham waited for 25 years for this promise to be fulfilled. 25 years he waited. And yes, he wasn't in hope and he wasn't in faith for 25 years. If you go and read the account of Abraham and Sarah, we see he had his ups and downs. Sarah had her ups and downs. They made their errors. But at the end of the day, God fulfilled his promise. And when the son um, of the promise was born, um, that's Isaac. Isaac was the symbol of this fulfilled promise. And when this, uh, when he's born and he grows to about 12 years old, God then speaks to Abraham and tests Abraham. And this is where I want to pick up the account. Genesis 22 verse 1 to 14 says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, Here I am. And God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I'll tell you. So God is testing Abraham and God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, your miracle child that you waited for, for 25 years. And now you really can't have another son. And I want you to take this son and I want you to offer him there as a burnt offering. I want you to let this fulfillment of the promise, this symbol of the fulfilled promise. I want you to let it die. I want you to give it over to me. I want you to let go of it completely. It's a test from the Lord. And you know what Abraham goes, he rises early in the morning and takes his son and two of his young men and some wood for the burnt offering. And he goes to the place which God told him to travel to. And on the third day, in verse four, we see on the third day, Abraham lifts his eyes. He sees the place afar off and he says, to the young men with him, stay here with the donkey. Isaac and I are going to go and worship and we will come back to you. You can already see some sort of expectation in his heart that God was going to come through for Abraham. And it says, verse 6, So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went off together. And Isaac says to his father, Look, we have, the, we have the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And I love what Abraham says. It shows 
me that there was an expectation in his heart. He didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know how it was going to happen. In his heart, if it was a test, a real test, which it was, he had to be willing to let Isaac die. He had to be willing to give over to God the symbol of the fulfillment of his promise. He had to be willing to lay down that thing which was most precious to him. And Abraham says, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. God will provide. He didn't know the answer. He had confident, probably desperate expectation that God will provide. Who knows what was going through his heart and mind as he walked, as he was in that place of waiting to see how God was going to come through, how God was going to provide. Who knows what was going on in his heart as he walked to the place where God was requiring him to offer up the very miracle, which was the fulfillment of the promise. See, sometimes these are the tests we go through in the waiting. Are we willing to trust God when it looks like the very life of the promise is about to be snuffed out? Can we trust God when he wants everything, especially the thing that we hold most dear? Can we remain in hopeful expectation of our God, of his nature, his faithfulness, his promises, when the thing that we've been trusting him for is dying, when the thing that we've been wanting breakthrough in is actually going in the opposite direction, when it looks like his promise that the fruit of that the fulfillment of that is actually dying and is going to die a slow or a quick death can we remain in expectation and that is so important that is what I see in Abraham and it says they come to the place verse 9 Abraham builds an altar he binds his son Isaac and lays him on the altar upon the wood I wonder what Isaac was going through at this point I wonder what Abraham was going through. He lifts the knife and he's about to kill his son. And an angel of the Lord calls to him from heaven and says, verse 11, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham says, I'm here I am. And the angel says, don't slay your son or lay your hand on him. For now I know that you fear God. You see, this is the test in the waiting sometimes. It's a test of do we fear God? Are we going to trust God? He says, now I know you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there was a ram caught in the thicket. And Abraham uh, took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of his son. And he, it says, verse 14, and I love this. He called the name of the place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord. It shall be provided you see, Abraham had to be willing to let go and let die the miraculous provision, the dream, the thing he had waited for for 25 years. And he could do this because he had a certain expectation that the Lord would provide and make a way. Very often we have to pass the test to see the provision of the Lord. We need expectation to pass the test. So I ask you again, what is your expectation? What is your expectation? Number four. Waiting on the Lord requires hope. It requires hope. You know, recently going through my challenges with my, the infirmity that I've experienced, uh, the, sorry, the injury that I've experienced and not being able to train, um, I, I said to a friend, or a training partner of mine, a friend of mine, I said, I think I'm struggling to keep hope or something like that. And she said, we must always hope. And I said, yes, that's true. 
We must always hope. It requires hope. And this is the thing. Psalm 27 verse 13 says, I would have lost heart unless I believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We have to keep hope alive as we wait on the Lord. We have to keep hoping. In the Amplified from verse 13 to 14 of Psalm 27, it says, What would have become of me if had, I not, had I not believed I would see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living? Wait and hope for and expect the Lord. Be brave and of good courage and let your heart be stout and enduring. Yes, wait and hope for and expect the Lord. And I say to you today, what is the confession of your hope? Hebrews 10 verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And when we understand that he who promised is faithful, we can hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And I'm wanting to briefly look at the example of Caleb and Joshua and the Israelite spies in Numbers 13 to see an example of this. So where, we, where I pick up this particular example, the Israelites, the people of Israel, have reached the edge of Canaan, the edge of the promised land. So they're positioned to enter and take the promised land, so take hold of the promise which God has given them. But before they could go in, and the Lord commands Moses and says, Numbers 13 verse 1, um, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to you. So that's the promise. I'm giving it to you, but send men in to go and spy out the land. Um, and so verse 3, Moses sends them in according to, com to the command of the Lord. And um, verse 17 of Numbers 13, Moses sends them to spy out the land of Canaan and says to them, he gives, well, he basically, I'm going to paraphrase it. He gives them instructions, go this way, go this way and see what the land is like. See the people, whether they're strong or weak, see whether they're few or many, see whether the land is good or bad, what the cities are like, whether they're camps or strongholds, see whether the land is rich or poor, whether they are forests or not. And then he says, be of good courage and bring some of back, some of the fruit of the land. Um, and Numbers Numbers um, 13, verse 27 to 33, then the spies go in and then they come back. And that's where I'm picking it up here. And they come back and they give a report. And they say to Moses, we went to the land where you sent us and truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. So this is the confession of their hope. Nevertheless, the people who dwell there are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. We saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell there. The Jebusites, Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites. And um, Caleb then says, no, 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 listen, let us go up. We are well able to overcome it. So Caleb's confession is we are well able to. The rest of the spies are like, whoa, the, the people are big. The, 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 the descendants of Anak are giants. The cities are fortified. Um, verse 31, the men who'd gone up with Caleb, Caleb said, we are not able to go up against this people for they are stronger than we. Um, and they gave the children a bad report of the land. And it says, that, and they said, the land which we've gone through as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. The people we saw in it are men of great stature. They're giants. Um, and we were like grasshoppers in our eyes. And we were also like grasshoppers in their eyes. So there, right away, you can see the confession of their hope. You see Caleb's confession. And you see the rest of the spies' confession. The rest of the spies, their confession revealed they had no hope. 
They lost sight of the God factor. They lost sight of God's faithfulness. All the spies, um, except for Joshua and Caleb, saw themselves as grasshoppers. They had this perspective. They lost sight of God. And guess what? All of those spies died from the plague and it was only Joshua and Caleb that remained. And guess what? The children of Israel had to wander in the wilderness for another 40 years before they could go back and have another opportunity to enter the promised land. So I want to encourage us today to guard our hope. I need to guard my hope. You need to guard your hope. Our confession will reveal where our hope levels are at. We need to remember that God who promised is faithful. When there is a God factor in the waiting, God will surely be faithful to fulfill his promise. It might be take longer than we hoped. It might take longer than we envisioned, but God is faithful. What do you do when you're afraid to hope? I'm looking for the door of hope. And in my message last, last time when I preached, when, when all else fails, I encourage us, to look in the valley of acorn, the valley of troubling, to look for the door of hope. That's what I'm doing when I'm struggling to guard my hope. Let's look for the door of hope. Let's look and see the hand of God. Let's seek understanding. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. God will not keep us in a place of waiting forever. He will fulfill His promise the fifth aspect of waiting on the Lord that I'm wanting to draw our attention to is that waiting on the Lord is important because it produces strength. Psalm 27 verse 14 says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord in some way strengthens us. It produces strength in us. Isaiah 40 verse 27 to 31 says, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Maybe some of us, maybe some of you find yourself in this place. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Those, they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Some translations say those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Those who wait on the Lord hoping will renew their strength. Amen. 1 Peter 5 verse 6 to 11 in the Passion Translation it says, if you bow low in God's awesome presence, he will eventually exalt you as you leave the timing in his hands. Pour out all your worries and stress upon him and leave them there, for he always tenderly cares for you. Be well balanced and always alert, because your enemy the devil roams about incessantly like a roaring lion, looking for its prey to devour. Take a decisive stand against him and resist his every attack with strong, vigorous faith. For you know that your believing brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing the same kinds of troubles you endure. And then, after your brief suffering, the God of all love and grace, who has called you to share in His eternal glory in Christ, will personally and powerfully restore you and make you stronger than ever. He will personally and powerfully restore you and make you stronger than ever. Yes, he will set you firmly in place and build you up. 
and he has all the power needed to do this forever. Amen. So beautiful. I'm wanting to briefly encourage us from Hebrews 11, 11. In the, in the Passion Translation, it says, Sarah's faith embraced the miracle power to conceive, even though she was barren and past the age of childbearing. For the authority of her faith rested in the one who made the promise and she tapped into his faithfulness. The NKJV says it thus, By faith, Sarah received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Oh, she waited. She waited 25 years. Oh, it was difficult. Did she always have faith? No. But guess what? At some point, she had the faith. At some point, she had waited on the Lord and she hoped in the Lord and she judged him faithful. And at that point, she received strength to bring forth the promise. You see, at the point... And God's timing at the point where we judge him faithful, where we continue to judge him faithful, where we hope and we expect we receive strength and we can birth the thing that he's caused us to birth. I'm wanting to um, briefly mention Annie J. Flint as an encouragement to us concerning someone who had such incredible strength such supernatural strength, I believe, in the midst of trials that as far as I know, she never escaped from. Um, and I've included her life story in the notes. Uh, you can go and have a look at her life story. Um, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into all the details. But in summary, both of her parents died during her childhood and she grew up an orphan. Um, fortunately, she was adopted and her adoptive family taught her the scriptures um, and taught her to read and to write and to create music. But um, her dream, she had a dream to become a concert pianist, but she developed rheumatoid arthritis in her early 20s and her hands became disfigured. Um, her body actually became twisted uh, with, with arthritis and she eventually became bedridden. Um, yeah, so... So she had a very difficult life, but Christ was powerfully being formed in Annie through her agony and through her suffering. And through the pain, she, even despite the pain, she became a prolific writer and a poet um, and, a, and a hymn writer, songwriter. And um, it's interesting for me that most of her days she was spent stuck inside her, sanator uh, her bed in the sanat uh, sanatorium. sanatorium but um, her reflections and her writing are a lot on the goodness of God. Um, it's filled with uh, writings and reflections on his character and his being and his goodness and his works. Um, and his goodness, particularly in trials and adversity. And we see this in a poem that she wrote entitled, What God Hath Promised. Um, and she writes, God hath not promised smooth roads, and wide, swift, easy travel, needing no guide, never a mountain rocky and steep, never a river turbid and deep. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. Annie was ruthlessly honest about difficulties, and she refused to gloss over the pain that she went through. But she wrote such um, encouraging things regarding 
being strengthened in the midst of difficulty. And a particular hymn that I'm wanting to share before I close is this hymn. And um, she writes, He giveth more grace as the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiple tri multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed and the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm, on the arm everlasting, availing. The Father both thee and thy load will upbear. His love has no limits, his grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men, for out of his infinite riches in Jesus he giveth and giveth and giveth again. God strengthens us in the midst of everything we go through and he gives us enough, enough strength to endure that which we find ourselves in. So in conclusion today, I'm wanting to encourage us in the midst of the waiting, let's wait on the Lord. Let's remember that waiting on the Lord is not a passive endeavor. Let's remember David and remember that waiting on the Lord takes courage, takes seeing the situation from God's perspective, takes remembering that God is the one who fights with us and for us. Let's remember that waiting on the Lord requires patient endurance. Sometimes we have to endure trials and tribulations just like Joseph did. Sometimes we endure things that aren't fair, that aren't just in our eyes. But guess what? God is working something in us. God has a bigger picture in mind. God has a purpose and he will fulfill his promise in his season. Let's remember as we wait on the Lord that it requires expectation. That just like Abraham had an expectation that God would come through and provide. That Abraham had an expectation that God would still fulfill his promise even when it looked like that promise was going to be, was going to be the life was going to be snuffed out. It requires expectation. Let's remember that waiting on the Lord requires hope. It requires hoping in the Lord. Hoping in, in his goodness hoping and maintaining the confession of our faith because he who promised is faithful. Let's remember that, that God is faithful to fulfill his promise, even if the giants, even if there are giants in the promised land, even if it looks like it's impossible. Let's remember to keep hoping. And finally, let's remember that the waiting produces strength, that God strengthens us in the waiting and it also produces strength. And there's enough strength in God's resources to carry us through and empower us and help us to get to the end of the waiting season. Yes, it's hard, but yes, it's worth it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. I want to pray for each of those under the sound of my voice, Lord God, each of those who are in a season of waiting. We pray, Father God, that you would help us to be those who wait in courage. You would help us to be those who wait in patient endurance. You would help us to be those who wait in hopeful, faith-filled expectation of you, Lord God, that we would maintain the, the confession 
of our hope, Lord. We pray that you would help us to be those who guard our hope, who keep our hope, who, who refuse to let go of hope in the situation. Those who, like my son said, maintain composure, who keep hoping in the midst of the waiting. Father God, we pray that you would strengthen us in the waiting, even as we know that waiting produces strength. May you help us to wait on you, to hope for you, to look to you, to have our confident, confident expectation in you, Lord God, that you may strengthen us, that you may work in us what you need to work in us, that you can take us into the next season, into the next place, uh, the next promised land that you have for us, Lord God, that we can walk in the fullness of everything that you have for us, yes, but everything that you're wanting to fulfill through us for your kingdom purposes. And this I pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for those who are struggling right now under burdens, under weights, those who've lost hope, those who've sit down, sat down and given up. I pray that you would supernaturally strengthen and lift up those who are bowed down, that you would supernaturally come alongside Holy Spirit and encourage, that you would refresh, that you would strengthen in our inner man, Lord God, that you would have your way, that you would you would undertake, Lord God, and cause us to make progress and to fulfill the season of waiting. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.